the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday. It's 4 o'clock. Your radio is tuned to AM 630 The Word. And I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We've got all the ingredients here for a radio show. i bringing you the word to stand on for life, a radio show dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, uh, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call. 210-340-9585 is our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our uh, free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, I don't know how many of you got a chance to tune in to our Sweet Summer Devotion live stream last night. Uh, Trish Dominguez did an absolutely wonderful job. What a blessing it was. Uh, You can watch that at calvarysa.com and believe me, it will be well worth your time. Okay, other than that, and let me just say it now, tomorrow's Paula's birthday. Other than that, (laughs) I'll get right to uh, some questions while we await any phone calls that you have. The first one is from our mobile app, Anonymously. Why is there hell if God loves all peoples of the earth? Anonymous, God is holy. I think sometimes we forget that. You know, when we talk about God, well, God is love and he loves people. And how could a loving God send anybody to hell? I think we forget that his overarching attribute is holiness and justice. And so God cannot spend eternity with people who are guilty of sin. Not only that, God loves people enough to uh, respect the choice they make. If somebody in this world says, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, um, and then they die, he's not going to, in the next world, make them serve him. That would He's simply going to honor the, the decision that they make in life, and he's going to honor that in death. Now, that creates a need for there to be a place for those people. And Anonymous, we're all immortal. We're all eternal from the time we are born into this world. And it means we're going to live somewhere forever. We're either going to live with Jesus, we call that heaven. We're going to live separated from Jesus, we call that hell. But the reality for dying for our sins, and remember the Apostle Paul said, the wages of sin is death. In other words, we deserve to die. That's what we earn by our sinful lifestyle. Jesus, however, offers to cover those sins. That's how much God loves people. He offered to cover all of our sins, to take our punishment, and literally, and I say this often for effect, to go to hell, we literally have to step over Jesus' dead and risen body. That's how much he loves us. Now, if we 
insist on going to hell. Jesus just says, I honor your choice. So that's why there is a hell. There has to be a place for people who reject Jesus Christ to live forever and ever and ever. And that is eternal torment. So Anonymous, I hope that makes sense. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. I can't imagine God making people live um, with him and serve him and worship him if they hate him. Here's a question from Jill from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, you mentioned the difference between Jesus, the Son of God, versus Jesus, who is God the Son. Do you have any direct scripture that references God the Son? Um, Jill, I make that distinction because, um, you know, we get so used to saying the Son of God, the Son of God. And frankly, uh, even cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Mormons, uh, even cults will declare Jesus is the Son of God. And they'll use, as I mentioned in the program uh, earlier this week, that or yesterday, in fact, that, um, you know, they'll use the same language. He died for our sins. He died on the cross. Jesus is my Savior. But they don't have the right Jesus. So when I am emphasizing the Son of God, who is also God the Son, I'm emphasizing his deity. So there's all kinds of direct scripture that references Jesus' deity, that he is God the Son, and uh, that is undeniable. Um, While Jesus... And people say, why didn't he just come right out and say it was God? He said it over and over and over. Um, in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Uh, the Jews who heard him understood clearly that he was claiming to be God. Um, their Their reaction, they picked up stones to stone him. And when he asked why they were attempting to stone him, they said, for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So they got it. They got the fact that he was claiming to be God. Not only that, but we have all of the I am statements that are made in the Bible, where Jesus says, I am, uh, before Abraham was born, I am. That's John chapter 8, verse 58. Um, He's identifying himself with uh, the, the I am who was revealed to Moses at the burning bush, tell him that I am sent you. Uh, And of course, that's why they were trying to kill him. Uh, The Gospel of John uh, begins with Jesus's deity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's important. So Jesus identifies himself over and over and over as um, God the Son, uh, claiming deity, equality with God, and over and over and over. Um, We can take it one step farther. Uh, When Jesus was resurrected and he appeared to Thomas and Thomas fell on his face and worshipped him and said, my Lord and my God, Uh, if Jesus were not God, he would have corrected Thomas because only God can be worshipped. So over and over and over, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God, um, but also declares his deity, that he is God in human flesh. So, Jill, that's why I do it. I just want people to understand we're not talking about just the Son of God, but he happened to be God himself, um, uh, one of the persons of the triune God. Thank you, Jill, for the question. I appreciate it. Here's a question from Vernie. Vernie, I like this uh, question. I think she says, I think what's happening in the world today is God handing us over to ourselves, like in Romans chapter 1. It's not a question, really, Vernie. It's a statement. I could not agree with you more. Uh, I think one only has to look around and see the world that we we live in, see the condition of things, to see the hardness of people's hearts, to, to see... Um, the direction this world is going, how we are given over to sin, uh, how we insist on calling good evil and evil good. I mean, that's the world that we live in. And I think you're right. God has simply taken his hand off of the people uh, and our hearts have been given over. And in Vernie, the Bible says things are going to get much, much worse before they get better. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. I wish I knew how soon. But the reality is, uh, before that happens, before the rapture of the church, things are going to get worse and worse and worse. Thank you, Vernie. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question anonymously. 
that was a sneeze break. <laughs> uh, Anonymous says, how do I deal with same-sex attraction? Um, Anonymous, uh, we live in a fallen world, and this is part of the fall, and uh, same-sex attraction is real. Um, you know, it's not a, a, a demonic spirit. It's not um, a, a strange thing any longer. Uh, but people who are attracted to people of the same sex simply have to say no to having sex as a part of their lives. It's very important. You know, we're not, we're much more than our sexuality. You know, if you were listening to um, the LGBTQ community, you would think the only thing that we are is our sexual identity. And that's not true. We are potentially sons and daughters of God. Our identity is is tied up in our uh, our need to worship God. And anything short of that will never be satisfying or never be fulfilling. So how do you deal with it? You've got to decide once and for all that being with Jesus here on earth, but but also going to be with Jesus forever in heaven, is uh, of more value, of greater value to you than having a human, physical, sexual relationship uh, with somebody here on earth. You've just got to say no. And Anonymous, just so you understand where I'm coming from, uh, I would say the same thing if you were a heterosexual or or you were were, were um, attracted to the opposite sex. Um, and I would say that you have to refrain from sex. If you are unmarried, then the only way that we can be pleasing to God is to refrain from sex. Now, I realize how old-fashioned that sounds in the, in the, the culture that we live in. Uh, I always tell people it's okay if it sounds old-fashioned because God is really, really old. Um, but this is just a part of the fall. You know, the, the man who says, well, I can't, I'm tempted by women. I can't keep my hands off them. At some point, he's got to say no, or he's going to deal with the consequences. So the same thing is true with you. If you are attracted to people of the same sex, you simply have to say sexuality is not going to be a part of my life. Now, that's a bitter pill for a lot of people to swallow. But remember, we're making choices. Is it more important to you than spending eternity in heaven? Because you have to make that choice. The Bible says people who live um, the lifestyle of a homosexual will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's that simple. So what's more important to you? Now, people are grinding their teeth at me right now. Well, well, I just don't think that's fair. I should be able to, to love somebody who I want to love. No, you, you, God makes the rules. God gave us sexuality as a gift. God makes the rules for sex. He's the one in charge. And I like to tell people that when they can say, let there be light and there's light, um, and I'm talking about light from total darkness, not flipping a switch, uh, then they can make the rules. But until they can do that, God alone makes the rules. So this is something you have to say no to. Jesus himself said, to be my disciple, you must deny yourselves. You must deny yourselves. Not be in denial, but deny that part of your life. Pick up your cross. That means that you're, you're an instrument of death. You've got to die to your flesh. You can say yes to Jesus, but only after you say no to you. And then follow him. And anonymous, it's impossible to follow God if you're doing things that he says are wrong. So I hope that helps you. Thank you very, very much. And I know there's a lot of people will be praying for you. Jessica wants to know, is the United States mentioned in end time scripture? Jessica, there is absolutely no mention whatsoever of the United States in any of the end times prophecies. Uh, that disturbs people, mostly Americans. We can't imagine an end time scenario that the United States won't play uh, a pivotal role in. Uh, we are at some point debated now, but we're at some point uh, the most powerful and the richest nation on the face of the earth. And while that may no longer be true, people still say, well, of course we're in the end times. Of course we're going to be prominently mentioned. And the answer is no. Now, there's two reasons for that, only two. Uh, those two reasons is that the United States, having turned our back on God, is going to send ourselves into irrelevance. Think about that. 
you know, the Russian Empire was, uh, I'm sorry, the Russian Empire. I'm thinking uh, in the time that we live in, the Roman Empire uh, was never defeated militarily. It just sent itself uh, out of existence. Uh, now the Roman Empire is coming back in the last days. Uh, but, but the United States is doing the same thing. Uh, we have turned our back on God. We have um, mocked him. We continue to, to hate him. And um, we simply will not be relevant. And, and I think, Jessica, we can all see that has already begun. So that's probably the reason the United States uh, is insignificant in the end-time scenario. However, there is another possible reason, and this is more hopeful than it is factual. Uh, my hope and prayer is that there will be one more move of God's Spirit. You know, the United States was at least a God-fearing nation. It was never a Christian nation. I want to make that clear. But at least we had a fear of God. And our system of laws and justice were based on a Judeo-Christian um, uh, foundation. But that's no longer the case. So my prayer is that there will be one more huge move of God's Spirit. And there will be a revival in the United States of America that is so significant that when the rapture of the church happens, most of the people will be gone. Not everybody, of course, but most of the people will be gone. Now, that's wishful thinking. I mean, that's best case scenario. That's what we are all praying for. But the reality, Jessica, is I believe that we are simply going to sin ourselves out of relevance. And that seems to be the obvious answer in this case. Thank you, Jessica, for the question. Louis says, Joel 2.25, I want to know what are the years the locust has eaten? Louis, I, I love the question because I think every Christian, uh, especially those of us like me, who've really messed our lives up before we came to Jesus Christ, and we thought, oh, I've sinned so much, I've done so many terrible things that there's no way that God could, could ever restore uh, the, the, my past. And I think the Holy Spirit, as we're reading through our Bibles, especially as new Christians, I think um, the Holy Spirit takes us to Joel 2.25, and when he says, I will restore the years the locust has eaten, it was a literal locust invasion. And, of course, locust wipes out everything. And God is telling his people, Israel, get right with me, and I will make all of that right. I will restore the harvest I will restore the harvest. Um, I, 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 will, I will bring your fields back to life. And for people like me, Louis, when the Lord spoke that to my heart, within the first year that I was saved, you know, I was in one of those spiritual um, places where the devil was lying to me. God could never use you. Actually, I had a, a person I know who told me that God could never use me after all the things I'd done, that the best I can do is just be grateful that I'm saved. And um, um, the Lord spoke to my heart. I was just reading through the Bible. We got to Joel 2.25, and, and he let me know that God has a much better plan and asked me to trust him and believe. And uh, Louis, the, the 32 years I've been saved, uh, the 28 years that I've been the pastor here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, uh, God has abundantly blessed my life, abundantly blessed my life. And I am privileged to be able to do what I do. I, I'm grateful that I'm, I'm counted worthy to bear the name Christ as a Christian. Um, I, I, I pray daily, Lord, help me to walk worthy of the calling that you've given me. I never want to forget to be grateful. So all all that passage is when the Holy Spirit is speaking it to a New Testament Christian is, don't worry, you may have messed up things. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, and I am going to blow your mind. I'm going to bless you. I never could have believed, Louis, that uh, I, I could be doing what I'm doing. It It, it just seems so impossible that I dared not believe. And and the Spirit of God used this verse to challenge me at that point, to, to trust him, to test him on these things. And of course, um, he's done exactly that. 
Here's a question from Mark. Phones are quiet today. Phones have been quiet last few days of last week and yesterday and today. Uh, Mark says, when Jesus died on the cross, did he die for everyone uh, or just the elect? Mark, the Bible is clear. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. The world. Not just the elect, not just the chosen. He died for the sins of the world. Now, obviously, for his death to be effective, people have to receive the free gift of eternal life by coming to Jesus Christ by faith. But he died for everyone, which means, and he knew, Jesus said the the road to destruction is wide and well-traveled, broad and well-traveled. The the road to, uh, to, uh, to heaven is narrow and few find it. He knew that most people were going to reject him. However, however, it makes it really difficult for us to end up on that road to destruction. So he died for the whole world. And the Calvinist doctrine that says he died only for the elect uh, is, uh, is, is evil. It really is evil. So, Mark, hope that makes sense to you. Let's go to our phones. We've got James on line one from Belmont. James, good to hear from you. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, hi. Um, uh, I had a question. Um, it's uh, it's in two places in the Gospels with Mark 12, Matthew 24. Um, uh, I don't remember. I think it was the Pharisees. But uh, he was approached. Uh, they were trying to kind of put Jesus in a bind, and uh, especially anything uh, uh, that would sound like it went against tradition or the law and stuff like that, as you know. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, they, he talked about the woman, uh, I guess, was married to three brothers, had no children, dies, uh, the, the woman goes to heaven. So uh, who is her husband? Who is she married to? Um, and uh, Jesus refers to a scripture. And I can't really find the scripture. Um, I've not really ever um, read anything of Enoch except some references that might have been made in Jude and in Peter um, to some things that might have been in Enoch. Is this also another one of those things that was in Enoch, or am I just overlooking where this is in the Old Testament? Um, could, could you give me the could, could you give me the the specific Bible verse? So I can see what the uh, quote was. I know the I story, just, but I just, yeah, I just wrote down on my cheat note that it was Mark 12 and Matthew 24, which sounds like those would have been real easy to remember. But the older I get, you know, the less I forget, um, or the, the more easily I forget. Um, I, I don't really have that verse right in front of okay. me, um, but in in discussing it, I just recall because I was reading this again last night, trying to see if I was missing something in that looking up the scripture that he's referring to, he made it sound like, Jesus made it sound like um, the Lord said something to the effect of, um, as you know in the scripture, that angels are not given for marriage or something in that regard. Um, and and Jesus sounded to me like Jesus was referring to a scripture that was either commonly known or or was actually in the, the Torah. Yeah. And uh, and so I don't know if this is a Talmud thing or something like that, but Talmud wouldn't be considered scripture, even though uh, it was held in high esteem. Or yeah, in, I, 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 think, I, I think I've got it now, James. Thank you very much. And I'll probably have to go on the other side of the break with this with the answer as well. Um, the story is there were seven brothers, and, and Jesus was... Um, being tested by the the uh, religious leaders, the scribes, the Sadducees, uh, and he was exposing their hypocrisy. Now they said, if if a man um, has a wife and and uh, uh, he dies, and and of course the 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 Levitical laws, the brother would have would be responsible for for uh, taking care of the wife and producing children, so the brother's name could go on. Uh, and when they said, okay, but he dies, and then the next one dies, and the next one dies, and the next one dies, and he goes to seven of them, and then at the end he says, so whose wife will she be at the resurrection? Now, the reason Jesus dealt with them the way they did is because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. 
So he was pointing out their hypocrisy. It was almost like he was saying to them, why would you of all people ask me this question when you don't even believe in a resurrection? He was saying that's a dishonest quote. So um, he was saying, no, they will be like the angels in heaven who neither marry or are given in marriage. And I don't think that's a quote from anybody. I think just frankly, that was Jesus uh, simply teaching uh, that angels will not marry in heaven um, and, and in heaven we won't either. I think that's all the point he was making. But I am not familiar at all with uh, an Old Testament quote that Jesus was referring to there at all. So, James, again, I don't think it was a quote. I think he was just teaching. It's Ma- Matthew twenty-two twenty-five, Mark twelve twenty, and then the story is also repeated in Luke chapter 20, verse 27. But again, there's no um, tradition. Um, Pharisees didn't believe in life after death, so they didn't believe in the angels. I'm sorry, the Sadducees didn't. So hope that helps, James. Thank you. 340-9585. We've got 30 minutes left in our program. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program thank you very much for putting up with my throat and my voice here in these last few minutes uh 340-9585 for your live calls and questions uh, James, one one other thing, uh, in, in looking at the passage, there's absolutely no reference or quotation in heart or mind. Now, first of all, Jesus would not have quoted the book of Enoch. Uh, it's not inspired scripture, um, but, but there was no reference to any of the other books. Uh, in that passage, the only reference Jesus makes uh, to the Old Testament uh, is uh, in in uh, verse 32 when he goes down and says, I am the God of of Isaac and the God, uh, I'm sorry, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And he's referring, of course, to Exodus chapter 3 there. So uh, that's the only reference to scripture. That was just one of those moments where Jesus was teaching. We wouldn't have known that had it not been for Jesus' teaching. We we could have assumed, yeah, we'll be married. I, I always thought Paula was going to be stuck being married to me forever and ever. But she's not. We're both going to be married to Jesus, and uh, it'll be a different altogether, a different um, relationship. Glorious, better, infinitely so, but not uh, not marriage like here. Let's go to Jerry holding on line one. Jerry, thank you for the call. You're on the air. Hey, good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Uh, let me be one of the first to wish uh, Mama Paula happy birthday. <laughs> and uh, my my birthday verse for a lot of folks when I write it inside of a card or something is always Psalm sixty five eleven. Crown the year with a bountiful harvest, even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. So I just want to give her an early shout out for her birthday. She looks good for fifty. So fifty. <laughs> <she's, laughs> no, she always looks so super. She's a diva. She's a diva. Bless your heart. She's a good diva. diva. She's a a godly diva. You're right. And, you know, just real quick, speaking about Paula before the reason that I made the call, it's just so nice that she acknowledges me and and so many others. She makes you feel welcome when you come. And I personally really appreciate that. So um, as far as the reason for the call, this is a friend I've had. This is something I'm just going to want you to comment on, and then I'll hang mm-hmm. up and listen to your reply. But this is a friend I've known probably 45 years. You know, obviously we disagree tremendously. You can't discuss really religion or politics with this person. But, you know, it's like my friendship is important, so, I, you know, we just discuss sports or other things. But um, we were talking that this was several, maybe a month ago, and abortion came up and he used the verse to justify and he's raised Catholic, you know, I was raised Catholic as well, but the verse he used to justify his stance on abortion was Genesis two, seven, where, you know, the Lord uh, formed man from the dust of the ground 
and he breathed the life, breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. It's like, you know, the baby has a heartbeat at six weeks, and I just, I just had to let it go, but I just want to hear your comment. I mean, I know what you're going to say, but I just wanted to call, and I'll listen for your response. Thank you so much. Love you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jerry. God bless you, and Paula will forever thank you when she sees you. Um, Jerry, you know what? I, I really don't deal with people who would make a dishonest argument like that. This is a person who has absolutely no interest at all in what's true. Um, Adam was formed out of the dust of the earth, a baby that is placed in our womb where the Bible is clear that life begins at conception. Um, um, He is in disagreement with his own church's, the Catholic church's position. Um, But you know what? We'll, We'll misuse and abuse the Bible um, to believe whatever it is that we want to believe. And Jerry, honestly, there's no arguing, there's no debating. Um, I would have looked at him and said something like, you know better than that. When you're ready to have an honest conversation, well, let's open our Bibles and talk. But until then, there's no point at all in having it. This is a, a person who simply um, wants to be able to sin without consequence. And that's not the world that God created. So I, I just would not worry about it. Those kind of dishonest comments don't really merit much discussion, Jerry. God bless you. Thank you, my friend. Let's go to line three and talk with Celia from Bandera. Thank you, Celia, for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, sir. I was listening to either, uh, I can't remember if it was Chuck Swindoll or John MacArthur this morning. And he was talking about the parables and he said that Jesus spoke in parables and I may be getting this incorrect but he said the parables were a judgment and he was talking to the apostles and saying I gave you the knowledge so you could understand but I speak in parables to them because they don't accept who I am. I, I think it's something like that. I may have this all wrong, but I didn't. I, I never knew a parable was in judgment. Yeah, I guess it's, maybe it's, Jewish people. I don't yeah. know. No, Celia, it was not a judgment. John MacArthur is dead wrong on that, and I actually heard a little bit of that Bible study this morning uh, as well. Um, so, uh, no, uh, the, the parables or nothing of judgment. John John MacArthur's a Calvinist. He's got neat little boxes to wrap things up. Now, two things. Uh, Jesus spoke in parables, and and because he spoke so clearly in those parables, the people who heard him, well, then they were going to be judged. Um, I mean, he was making the truth of what he was saying so clear that um, that they were going to be judged by rejecting it. And that's one thing he told his disciples, and he gave them sort of the key, the, the parable of the sower is the one he was talking about. And Jesus, that's the only parable that Jesus gave the meaning of the symbols in. And, and uh, just for uh, expositional consistency, the the, uh, the those symbols mean the same thing in all of the parables. And Jesus was saying, look, I'm telling you what it means because they don't have ears to hear. Now, they could hear uh, and they could understand if they would have wanted to understand, but they just didn't want to hear. And, and uh, the, the fact that Jesus was trying to hide the truth from them is absolutely inconsistent with his character, his nature, but it is also inconsistent with the evidence presented in the parable itself. The parable itself, every time Jesus spoke a parable, they, the listeners got angry with him because they understood that he was talking about them. His disciples even came to him and said, you know, these people, they're angry with you because they know you're talking about them. And I think they were trying to encourage Jesus, lined up a little bit, maybe soften the message. And Jesus said, no, 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 I'll, I'll tell you what it means, but they already know. And so there's no conceivable way that when Jesus was speaking in parables, he was trying to hide the truth. In fact, the truth was so clear that all of those people would be judged. I don't think that's what MacArthur meant when he said it, 
but giving him the benefit of the doubt, it could be um, taken that, that they will be judged because the obvious meaning of the parable was rejected by them. So, Celia, um, John MacArthur's really, really good. He's a wonderfully gifted Bible teacher. Um, but but you always have to keep in mind his um, Calvinist soteriology. Uh, he's, um, uh, it's just, just really the only thing that he's really, really wrong on. But it, it unfortunately flavors uh, a lot of what he teaches. But the, the parables, Jesus was screaming at them hoping they would believe, but only his disciples, the simple, he said, will get the meaning of this because their hearts are open. Thank you, Celia. God bless you and appreciate that you're listening to Christian Radio. Let's go to Cindy online, too. Cindy, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I'm, I'm kind of curious about Zion. Um, I'm wondering about Zion being a spiritual city or if there's an actual physical place for Zion. But what led me to call in the first place was in Psalm 87, the last part of verse 4 down to verse 7. I'll read it. It says, and we'll say this one was born in Zion. Verse 5, indeed of Zion, it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. Verse 6, the Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they, and then 7, as they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. And what kind of made me wonder about, is that kind of like a reference of being born again? So that's that's what I was thinking with my my little coffee morning. <laughs> thank I'm you, get Cindy. Off the phone and listen to your answer. Thank um, you. Thank you, um, Zion. Um, how can I put this? Zion is a real place, um, but it doesn't really exist yet in the Jewish thought process. Zion can be equated with the kingdom of God. So Zion is that which belongs to God, that which is holy and that which is separate. And so the references, especially those Old Testament references to the kingdom of God being established here on earth, that is ecclesiastical Zion. Um, and and it, there's a real place. It's it's Jerusalem. It's uh, where the, the throne of David will be set up and occupied by Jesus. So it's a real place. But it's referred to as Zion, uh, sort of as as, uh, the kingdom of God on earth. So Zion doesn't exist physically yet, but spiritually Zion is the kingdom of God uh, on earth. And and, uh, the reference will be from when Jesus is sitting on his throne uh, in the millennial reign. Zion will have reached its fullness. So thank you, Cindy. Appreciate the question. Here is a question from Terrence. Um, This is a sad question. He says, Pastor Ron, it's impossible for me to believe that Jesus could love me. How can I get past that? Um, Terrence, there's a couple of things. You've got to get past how you feel. Uh, You've got to have enough faith to accept the gift of God. Now, you're listening to a Christian radio station. You probably identify as a Christian. But remember, we have to believe our Christ, and Jesus died for your sins, and he died that your past could be wiped away. So if you're holding on to the past, you're denying the very work that Jesus did for you. So here's how you can believe that Jesus loves you. He proved it. Once and for all, he proved it. They hung him on a cross. He could have come down, but he stayed there. He endured the agony of the cross, and he did it, Terrence, for you. And he did it for me. Now, I'm going to tell you something very personal, uh, Terrence. I don't know how messed up your past was, but it can't be any more messed up than mine was. And I'll go one step farther. Paul, the apostle, said he was the worst of all the sinners. That means, Terrence... His life pre-Christ was worse than yours. And yet we believe that God loves us because of the overwhelming evidence. He said he loved us. He proved he loved us by dying for us. He took the punishment we deserve. And now all you have to do, Terrence, is believe that. Just believe it. Now understand the enemy is the one who's bringing all of these thoughts of, of condemnation 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean, Terrence, that the devil's going to stop screaming at you. He will condemn and condemn and condemn, and he will do it as long as it works. It looks like it's working pretty well on you. So when you have those thoughts, you've got to identify those thoughts as coming from the devil. Take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And the the way you do that is simply say, I know that's a devil telling me that you can possibly love me, but your word says that you love me. Jesus' death on the cross says you love me, and his resurrection from the dead proves that you love me. So I'm going to believe by faith that you love me. And it's faith is the only way that you can get past that kind of condemnation. You've got to understand you're in a spiritual battle. And the enemy is trying to... He, he's lost your soul, Terrence. He's lost your life. Uh, but he's going to try to make sure that your life is not fruitful. And if you're wallowing, and I don't say that in a pejorative sense, but if you're wallowing in this kind of condemnation, uh, then I can promise you there's there's no joy in your life and there's no, uh, but he's going to look at the life that you're living and say, oh, I want his Jesus. So this is a battle that you've got to win. But you've got to decide, are you going to believe how you feel, even though you know it's an enemy who's bringing those feelings and taking advantage of those feelings? Are you going to believe how you feel, or are you going to believe what the Word of God says? Now, Terrence, when I say that, it sounds like an easy choice. But the reality is, people that are condemned and and, and overcome by condemnation typically don't spend much time in their Bibles. Let the Holy Spirit change your mind. He's changed your heart, but let the Holy Spirit change your mind. Be in the Word. Be a student of the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word. Because it's the Word of God that will change you. Paul and I were talking this morning. Actually, it was as we were walking around our neighborhood praying. Um... Uh, thanking God because every good thing that's ever happened in this church is a result of the Word of God being taught. And because the Word of God's taught, the Holy Spirit is 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 penetrating um, men's minds and hearts. And every good thing comes to the Word. So dig into your Bible and turn you've got a choice to make. Are you going to believe what the Word says? Or are you going to believe how you feel knowing that the enemy is the one who is behind those feelings, that emotion. Thank you, Terrence, for the question. Let's go to Jimmy from San Antonio on line one. Jimmy, I haven't heard from you for a while. Good to hear from you. Oh, well, they, um, I was at, a, at the credit union for like 12 years, 12, 13 years as a patrol officer. But um, but uh, they canceled that that uh, contract. Okay. So, so um, God opened other doors for me to work. So I uh, I went to another place. So then I've been working from ten to six at night. <laughs> oh, uh, so it that's, that's tough shift. To, yeah, it took time to get used to. So I sleep during the day. I see my wife in the morning before she goes to work. Eat some breakfast, kiss her goodbye, and then go to bed. Okay, what's up? Oh, hey, uh, uh, I'm going to the retreat. Well, I signed up for it. <laughs> And uh, the, I put in my request yesterday, and uh, yeah, I just hey, you're in there. They told me, they told me, well, you only been with this like, like uh, two months. And I said, well, I've been with this company for a while, so um, but it's okay. I mean, he said, well, go ahead and put it in. And I just trust God that He'll open the doors. But if they don't let me go, then I'll just give my ticket to somebody else. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. Yeah. So. Anyway, I'm looking forward to it. And I got a transistor radio so I can listen more, like at home. Okay. Very good. We miss you. I miss you all too. Okay, buddy. God bless. Thank you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Lonnie. He says, a relative of mine says he is a Christian who's homosexual. He says he doesn't act on his homosexuality, but insists he's gay. How do I respond? Lonnie, I think the way to respond to this man is to say, good going. God bless you. I mean, a, a man with 
inclinations to sin, says no to his flesh so that he can say yes to God, that's so pleasing to the Lord, Lonnie. It's so pleasing to the Lord. And, you know, we can talk to him about his identity as a, as a Christian rather than as homosexual. But, but the reality is, here's a guy who has made the choice that I talked about with the question in the first half of the program. He's made the decision that I want Jesus more than I want to have sex. I want Jesus and heaven more than I want to, to have that part of my life here on earth. So um, the, the, the man or the woman who says, yes, I'm same-sex attracted, but I'm choosing to be celibate because I love Jesus. That's a man or woman who's pleasing to the Lord. So um, I would disagree. He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Um, but, but, you know, we got to give him some space to understand what God has done. And then, Lonnie, pray for him. I mean, really pray for him. Make yourself available to him. But this is a really, really, really good thing when somebody says, nope, uh, I want Jesus more than I want to give in to my impulses. So he's doing well. That's a very, very good thing. Here is a question. Xenia, uh, new name. Uh, Xenia says, Deuteronomy 23 says that no Moabite may enter the sanctuary but Ruth is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Why is that so? Well, Zini, isn't Grace wonderful? That's all I can say. Um, a, a Moabite couldn't go into the sanctuary, the Jewish sanctuary, um, but but uh, this Moabitess certainly made it into heaven in a glorious way. She's uh, not only in the genealogy of Jesus, but she is surrounded um by by notable people, wonderful people, uh, the mother of Jesse, the grandmother of King David. So um, grace, there's there's no explanation. Grace is wonderful. Uh, there are some other Rahab is listed in the genealogy of Jesus, uh, and of course no um, Jew would ever think that those Gentiles could get to heaven, and yet here they are. Uh, included in the genealogy of the Savior of the world. So um, the only thing I can say is grace is truly, truly wonderful. Thank you, Xenia. Um, Anonymous says, Pastor Ron, how do we correctly view women as pastors when some church, churches say it's okay and others say it is not? It's confusing. Yeah, it's confusing and it doesn't need to be uh, anonymous. Second Timothy, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 makes it really clear. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. And the, the context there is very specific to, to order in the church or how church is to be done. And you are right. Uh, we live in a time where women um, want what they can have. Uh, the church belongs to Jesus. He's the head of the church. Um, ostensibly, that means that we're going to do what he says. Uh, and yet there are women who want the one thing that God says they can have. Uh, and and that's driven by flesh, by ego. Um, uh, it's, it's born out of rebellion. Now, I want to be clear, and I say this every time I get this question, it doesn't mean these people aren't saved. It doesn't mean that they're not gifted to teach. It just means that those people, the women who are pastors, the churches where they are pastoring, and in many cases, their husbands who they are co-pastoring with, uh, are are settling for way less than God's bless, uh, God's best. They're not being blessed to the full extent that God wants to bless them because they're in rebellion against God. And it's confusing, not just because there's different practices in churches, but it's confusing because if I'm in a church and they tear that page out of the Bible, uh, my first reaction is to be, well, what other pages are they going to tear out of the Bible? And they take out of context some other passages, Galatians 3.28, there's no male or female. Uh, so God did away with the, 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 the sex um, distinctions. No, that's completely out of context there. Um, what he's saying is that the roles that God established in the church, um, those are rules that he made once for all. Um, when we circumvent those rules, then we are operating in the flesh instead of in the spirit. And uh, sadly, uh, Anonymous, that's just the way it is. Um, you know, I go occasionally to... 
I go occasionally to um, pastors' get-togethers and stuff, and invariably there's women who are pastors there, and they know my position on it. And, and when I come in, you can see them kind of talking to each other. He doesn't believe that women can be pastors kind of thing. And, and none of them has ever actually wanted to talk to me about it. Um, I had somebody one time say, well, if God can trust women uh, to be the, a woman to be the mother of God, then then I think he can trust us as pastors in church. That's that's a, a nonsensical, confusing response. Women cannot be pastors, and yet we have them. They're just settling for less than God's best. If you go to a church where a woman is a pastor, you too are settling for less than the fullness of God and the plan that he has for you and for that church. So I hope that answers your question. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Really struggle with my voice today. Sorry for the coughing breaks, but may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Have a Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.